Well, my family calls me the bag lady because you never know what you're going to need. So I'm prepared with my notes and my water, and Linda's gone now, my hand fan, because you can never know when you're going to need that. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the light and seeing, I'm going to the light. If I stand under here, can you see me better? You going to see me better? Okay. I can see my notes better. So <laughs> and what time am I supposed to be finished? Somebody tell me. What's, what's the schedule? 8.30. All right, I'm going to set my alarm. The children will let me know? Okay. They'll come running in, and I'll know it's time to wrap it up? Okay. Maybe I won't set my alarm then. All right. You'll know. That's good. That's good. And I just want to say thank you so much for inviting myself and inviting Sam. Um, those of you who are parents can imagine a little bit what, it's, what a privilege it is to get to minister along with your kids. Uh, and I, we brought Earl along because, heck, he'd be all by himself home alone. So he gets, to, he gets to hear us one more time. But he actually says he likes it. I don't know. Hopefully he, hopefully he likes it. I want to say thank you to Jim. Uh, the organi- and this counseling, the organizing of a camp is no small feat. Uh, I appreciate that. I was chair of uh, my camp, you hear about that in a minute, uh, for five years during COVID. I was supposed to be done, and as many of then the COVID thing hit, and the whole thing was just going to like fall apart. So that first summer, we had a virtual camp online, and then next summer, it's like, oh man. So this is the first summer that I'm going to be at my own camp later in July and not be chair, and I'm just really, oh, I'm looking forward. So thank those leaders. Um, they, they may make it look easy, but, it, but it's not. It's not. So, yeah, so I'm going to tell you about my home camp. Well, at first, I should tell me. So I introduced my husband, Earl, my son, Sam. I have two grown sons, my older son, Ben, and his wife, Molly. And I'll show you pictures maybe next time I'm up here in, in the evening. Uh, ben and his wife, Molly, live in Santa Barbara, California with, with my granddaughter, Adelaide Rose. How dare they? I'm in Maine. Anybody do geography? Can't really get much further apart than that. My son Sam and his wife Mackenzie. I was so sad to see Sam's name tag. It says Park City, Utah. I'm like, man, those are Maine boys. Um, You'll hear a lot more about them during the week as you hear, um, hear my life in God. And I look forward to not only just sharing my stories, but hearing your stories when whoever it was said, Ron, it said, you know, like, what is it this week, you know? What is it this week that you came for? What does God want to do in your, in your week? And the word that came to me was, you know, present. Be present. Um, be present to you. Uh, be present to God. Be present to have an opportunity to hear Sam now that he's an old man. You know, that doesn't happen very often that we get to be together to do this. I hope to hear your stories at creatives and at dinner and at on all kinds of times. It's all part of camp. And those of you who are first-time CFOers and for those of you who are seasoned, I just encourage you, attend everything as much as you can, even the parts you don't like. Because oftentimes the blessing will come in the parts that you're not as comfortable with. 
right? AKA, what do you call them here? Rhythms, right? But you know, and personally, I love rhythms. I love rhythms. I love rhythms. So, so what brings me here? I was a first time CFO to what was called at that time Warwick CFO, which was in lower New York State in 1981. So do the math or not. <laughs> my mom and my, my dad were recently divorced. There were three of us daughters. I'm the oldest of three girls. And we went to camp for the first time because somebody invited us. How many of you are here because somebody invited you personally? Okay. How many of you are here because you just got born here? Yeah. Okay. I should have probably done that first. And how many of you are here because you just found it randomly on the website? See? And it, yeah, one, maybe one. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So a woman named Ann Dorman was leading the youth group where my sister was going, and that's how it started. And that's, you know, how it started for you. I even brought Earl on our honeymoon uh, not too many years later. And yes, we were those people that took the beds and moved the beds and an older gentleman um, you know, I don't know, he was older to me at the time, but I don't know, we'll pick like Jim, you know, he came to us with some string so we could tie the <clears throat> bed together. It was our honeymoon. Both the children came in the womb to CFO camp. So uh, I was a CFO before I was most, most anything. And this is my roots, and this is where I come, and this is what is kind of made me kind of who I am, for better, for worse. Um, for me, I think it's for better, but I am a bit loopy, you know, when I go back out into the real world, like, what is her thing, you know? Like, well, it's CFO, you got to come. Well, I don't know. <sighs> and I was a CFOer long before I ever became a pastor, and you're going to find this out eventually, so I might as well just tell you. My husband and I are co-pastors of a place called Sugarloaf Christian Ministry. So I get the privilege of pastoring at a ski resort, so how many of you have ever been skiing in your life? That is better than I thought. I was coming to Virginia, and I thought for sure I was going to have to explain what this is. Excellent. Nice. All right. We are, we are going. We're going back. So uh, we passed her at a ski resort. Uh, we've been there our whole careers pretty much. Uh, we're going into our 33rd year at this one church. You'll hear probably more about that later, although how many of you are actually pastors? See, you don't care, so I probably won't tell you too many church stories. You all, how many of you guys are active in the church? Okay, all right, you can imagine. Okay, it's church. Our little ministry at a ski resort, those of you who know anything about Maine, you might get this. The rest of you, don't worry about it. We are 45 minutes. In 45 minutes, I can be in Quebec, Canada. In 45 minutes or so, I can be in New Hampshire, so I'm not near the coast. I'm not doing the whole coastal thing with the cool shorts and eating lobster. I'm in the mountains, bigger mountains than this, uh, and much colder mountains than this. Our boys were raised there. They were those local kids on the mountain. They, I just let them go. Thank you for keeping track of the kids here. We didn't. We just let them go. And, <laughs> and uh, if they came home at the end of the day, that was a good thing. I probably will tell you a story about I thought I lost Sam, but uh, we won't get there yet. So think of the town that you live in. Think of the town that you live in right now. And I'm going to play a little bit of a game here. I'll see if it works. I've never done this before. So everybody, if you've got one, raise your hand. No, if you ever got a, if you got a hand, if you got a hand, raise it. 
It was kind of a trick question. Okay, everybody's got their hand up. Okay, now we're going to go backwards. We'll see if I can do this. If your town or city that you live in, you get to identify where it is you live. I, you know, like if you live in Baltimore, they're little pieces. I don't care. So wherever you live, claim it in your head, okay? If you live in a city or town of more than a million people, put your hand down. If you live in a town that has over 500,000 people, put your hand down. Great. This is good. If you, got, if you live in a town that has more than uh, 100,000 people, pick your hand down. If you live in a town that has more than 50,000 people, take your hand down. If you live in a town that has more than 10,000 people, pick your hand down. All right, we're getting there. Uh, what was that, 10,000? Okay, 5,000. If you've got more than 5,000, take your hand down. All right. Uh, if you have a living in a town that has more than 2,500 people, take your hand down. I want to see who's left. If you live in a town that has more than 1,000 people, take your hand down. Nice. We're getting there. If you live in a town that has more than... So how many people live in your town? Yep. Under 1,000. Nice. What do you got? 400. I want to meet you. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I think they may win. What do you got? You're with them. So that's all one family. Okay. What about you? How big is your town? 695. In 2021. I mean, I, I, this is self-reporting. What about you? 800? Eight people. I think she's got you. And are you the mayor? Your husband's the mayor. Oh, but we don't want to forget you. There was one in the back. Was there one in the back? Yeah. 850. 850. Okay, so you get a feel for this. I do like, I'm going to meet you. You're going to change your clothes tomorrow, so I want to know what you look like. All right, Teresa, I'm going to come back to that. So at the last time we all stood still and counted, uh, our town has about uh, 600 residents. So a town of 600, more or less, we have about, not counting the ski academy, we'll get to that. I think we have, what, 45 kids? Doesn't really change that much. Not a lot of kids. A lot of ski bums. A lot of aging ski bums. About 600 or so people who say they're residents, but that doesn't mean they're all there at the same time, right? Because it's a resort area. But we have 10,000 beds. Or as they say in the parlance, 10,000 pillows. So we have lodging for 10,000 people. And then there's 600 of us in the off-season kicking around, going, oh, you're still here. Oh, you're still here. 40, oh, and here, this says it all. This says it all. This will help you understand Sam when he gets to this. The nearest stoplight to my house is 42 miles. What? I know you wanted to hear that again, didn't you? 42 miles to the nearest stoplight. There's one. It's in the county seat. And when they got the second one, the joke around was, oh, yeah, we're going to put in another stoplight out by the Walmart. Here they got the colors all picked out. <laughs> I can't do a good Maine accent, I, <clears throat> but, I, but, I, but you won't know the difference. 
I love to speak at CFO. I love to give back to the organization, the, the movement that has given so much to me. I did take a few years off in speaking uh, because I was working on a doctor of ministry program. When my kids left and I became empty nesters, I was sitting with some empty nesters, I knew that I was going to need a project. I was going to get so sad. So I thought I would do something I always wanted to do. And I went back, got a doctor of ministry at a place called George Fox Evangelical Seminary out in Portland, Oregon. Which was nice because I live closer to Portland, Maine. I, of course, I never went there. You know, it's that modern thing. But I studied with a gentleman named Len Sweet, Leonard Sweet. He's written like 50, 60 books. And I studied, and you'll hear a little bit as I want to explain this because you'll hear a little bit as I talk. Um, he's an author and he's a futurist. Uh, in 2007, he was elected by his peers, his other writers, Christian writers, as one of the 50 most influential Christians in America. And it's because he can look at what's going on now in our culture and see where it's going. Um, he really can. And you don't always like it. And he'll be like, you guys got to step back. It doesn't mean you have to like it. You just have to be able to see it. And I learned a lot from him. And the program that I studied was called Semiotics and Future Studies. And I said, semiotics? That's a made-up word. Is that a made-up word? So I had to look it up because I love words. And it's not a made-up word. It's a real word. Semiotics. Um, I won't ask you to define it unless somebody is a real wordy person. Adam, anybody want to define it? I mean, I, I learned. I went to school to learn this. But. Okay, so semiotics. I'm going to tell you what this is. By the way, my doctoral thesis is open source. Just Google my name if you read it. I'll send you a sticker. I don't know. Good luck with that. <laughs> but Len tries to describe what is this thing that we were doing together. And this is what he says. And I, and I really want you to hear this because I think it has applicability for us. He said, disciples of Jesus must learn to read the sign language of the Spirit. Sometimes God gives us a hint. Sometimes God drops a hammer on us. But the handwriting is on the wall and God's finger is still writing. Can we read the signs of what God's doing? The ultimate in spiritual, what we would call illiteracy, is the inability to read the handwriting on the wall, especially when the essence of evangelism is announcing the good sign, the good sighting of the Spirit. And he says, semiotics is another way of talking about the sign of the Spirit's activity in the world, for we are sent into the world to join Jesus in his mission. And when he first explained that, that's what semiotics is, learning to read the signs of the Spirit. I said, wow, that sounds like CFO, isn't it? All our songs are about the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, responding to the Spirit. And we are all called to join Jesus on his mission. Matter of fact, it's the old CFO slogan, and I haven't learned the new one yet, but the old one, providing a Christ-centered Holy Spirit led program through which people discover the kingdom of God in the midst of today's world, right? We used to have t-shirts. I don't know what the new one is, but the spirit. But my credential, if you will, for speaking with you and listening to you this week is just that I'm a daughter of the king. Uh, I'm a daughter of the king, and that brings me incredible joy. And it's in this milieu of the CFO experience from, well, I was young, that I learned that I was a daughter of the king. Love beyond measure. Um, 
And that's what keeps bringing me back, to be in this atmosphere, to be able to share that and strengthen that with one another. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. I just want to read to you a very short scripture. Hopefully it will be familiar to you. From John 10. This is Jesus talking, and he says this. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself and sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired hand is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and he runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money, and the sheep don't matter to him. And then Jesus says this, But my sheep recognize my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good, and no one can steal them out of my hand. The father who puts them under my care is so much greater than the destroyer and the thief. No one could ever get them away from my father, and I and the father are one. Hmm. We're here to listen for his voice. We're here to learn how to listen deeper for his voice. We'll learn from one another how to listen. So what can you expect from me this week? I'm going to invite you to go deeper out and to listen deeper, more deeply. Hopefully all of us, we will be challenged to listen even more. Sam and I, we're both from the same family. We both love Jesus and CFO. Uh, He is a professional athlete pursuing his passion. I am not. One of you will identify with me. One of you will identify with him. It's great to have this diversity. But we're both going to inspire in you, hopefully, a passion for a deeper life in Jesus. How many crayons are there in a box of Crayola crayons? 54. How many? Nice. I love it. It's great. We're all like, huh. So when you're really little and you go to the restaurant, you get four. And then maybe a little bit later, you might get the box of eight or 12, right? And then you get get really good, you get the box of maybe, I think, is it 32? Yeah? Where's the kids? You see, the kids' leaders are gone. And then when you get old enough to be responsible and not eat them and not just break them, you get the 64. With the sharpener, Yes. And for some of us, you know, when we're in this thing called prayer, you're like, what is prayer? What is listening to God? We have the same things we do all over over and over again. And they work for us most of the time. But it's like like with that box of four, you know? Four is good. Four colors are good. But but 64? Oh, that's better. I want to hopefully invite you, and CFO is a great place to experiment with this, that you can expand your palate of what it means to pray, and how it means to pray, and what prayer might look like. And boy, isn't CFO a great place to do that? Somebody said the word expectations tonight. I like to talk about the word expectancy, um, and not just expectations. Expectations, when I work with brides, how many of you ever been a bride? Uh, Have you ever been work with brides? Brides, and particularly mothers of the bride, 
They know what they want. We want a sunny day. We want a day with no bugs. Well, don't get married in Maine, okay? We want, you know, so-and-so to sit here and -and so-and-so to sit there. And, you know, this is what we want. I've got one I'm working with now. I want you to guarantee that we can use the chairlift to get up to the amphitheater in August 23rd of 2026. I'm like, I can't promise you that. Expectations, sometimes also known as anticipatory disappointments. When you have an expectation, it'll either be met or not met. But if you come to something with a spirit of expectancy, you know that something's going to happen. And I just invite you, some of you have been here a long time, and there are things you want to do and people you want to meet and things you want to have go, and that'll remind you, oh, yeah, I'm really at camp. It might not happen that way. But if you come saying, you know, God's going to move. Something's going to happen. I'm going to be able to leave this place, and I will say, oh, my gosh, I have been in God's presence. If you have that spirit, you will be delighted. But if you're hoping that they serve those oatmeal cookies again with the raisins and it doesn't happen, you know, that was a missed expectation. And I'm guessing that may not happen again. Oh, I invite you to just let go of your expectations. When, when, I, uh, when my sister got married, I, I officiated at her wedding, and we rented a church, a nice congregational church. Think old New England church. You know, those big, huge white meeting houses, the big white steeple. And uh, she was getting married, and she wanted, to, she wanted a congregational hymn, and she wanted to sing, We Gather Together. And I opened the hymnal. Right? Wasn't her church, wasn't my church. Open the back of the hymnal. It says right there, we gather together. You guys know that tune, right? We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens his will to make known. The wicked oppressing now cease from distressing. He praises to his name. He forgets not his own. I love it, the people I have to look to that know that song. Great. Okay, so... It's called the Pilgrim Hymn. Oh, thank you. Those of you in New England would know it. So anyway, I wasn't sure how far we were going to go. So, know the hymn. It's in the back of the hymnal. We get to the wedding. She comes down. Now, you have to know my sister is a 40-year-old bride. She was a 40-year-old virgin coming down. That She says that. And it's true. She's coming down. She's happy. She's beaming. I say, so let's begin this. We gather together. We open up the hymnal. There's 200 people. We start singing. It's the right tune, but it is not the right words. They decided that this hymn needs to be redone. And we're singing, and it is not the hymn she wanted to celebrate the opening of her wedding. And I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't it. And we're singing, and I'm looking down, and I'm looking up at her, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking down, and we're like, it has nothing to do with, like, gathering together, asking the Lord's blessing. I mean, it's totally different. It's like not, I like, people would be going away saying, why did they sing that song at the beginning of the wedding? I have no idea. <laughs> and she and I are, like, performers from way back, and we, you could just tell where eyes are meeting. We're like, we're going to sell this. <laughs> but it was one of those signs, like, expectations. Like, they can really, they can really wreck you. So I just invite you to come with expectancy. Because sometimes we miss it. Um, 
sometimes we miss it. Here's a time when I, I kind of missed it. We're doing good on time. So we have a cottage on a lake in Maine, on Rangeley Lake. And if anybody's ever been there, I would be astounded. So anybody's ever been to Rangeley Lake? Never know. You can pretend. Rangeley Lake in Maine. Deep water lake, beautiful, cold, beautiful. I went out for a walk. It rained and drizzled all day. But I wanted to get my walk in. So it was about 7.30 at night when I went out for a walk. And the road goes along the back of the lake. It's a big lake. And true confession, normally when I'm at home at my house, when I go out for a walk, I like to bring a book and read while I walk. There's some interesting stories of what happens to me when I read while walking book <laughs> book. I've been doing it since I've been in junior high. But this is a non-paved road. Um, on my house, where I normally live, it's a mile loop. It's a it's a not a paved road. It's just a loop. I mean, nobody's out there. I could lay down in the middle and take a nap. It would be fine. But here in Rangeley, not so much. It's on the road to the state park, so I'm not reading. I'm just walking, trying to get my steps in, right? Get my steps in, get my steps in. I'm walking. And all the things you notice when you're walking and you're not preoccupied doing something like reading. And so I'm walking, and oh, there's this cute little tadpole little thing here. And oh, there's this yellow house, and it has this like little windmill with the little wind. It's just this little bitty thing, and I'm kind of noticing that, and you're looking along, and you're like, oh, that's, that was a porcupine. Okay, and you just keep walking along, right? You're walking along. There was a memorial, you know, you guys have them at the side of your roads. There was a memorial to some guy named JBL. There was like a motorcycle helmet, and there were other things, you know, like the things you notice when you go at a walking pace. So I'm walking. And it's 7.30 at night, so it's getting a little dusky. I'm just about to turn around where there's a house down there and it has a for sale sign on it. And you know how they have those little boxes with the little papers you can take them out? I'm like, oh, I wonder. We just love houses. Oh, I need to get one of those little papers, right? So I, I'm walking up to get the paper to see about the house. And I look up and I have measured it out since then, about 100 to 150 feet ahead of me. So I get this paper and I look up and there's a black bear. Yeah, you knew that was coming, didn't you? Standing on the middle, on the yellow line, in the middle of the road. And, and he comes up. Yeah, it was like me, it was like me to the exit signs. I'm even closer. And I'm I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. And he's standing still. And I'm standing still, and I'm thinking, yeah, dear Jesus, <laughs> I can't remember. How far are you? Uh, the exit, line, exit sign, right there. How far is that? Too close. Too close. <laughs> Too close. So, yeah, I'm literally like, I can see his eyes, and he can see my eyes. Like, so I'm just like, I'm thinking black bears, brown bears, grizzly bears. They're black bears. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. But, yeah, too close. So I just stand still. And eventually, in his own sweet time, he goes back down 
on his own force. You have to remember, the lake is right here, right? And there's like a hillside. So he'd, he'd, been come, down, he'd come down to the lake probably to, at dusk. Went down, went off, off into the woods. Thick woods, like here. And I just stood there. And I just stood there. And I was just in awe and wonder. And of course, there was nobody to share the story with. You know, it was like, like I was by myself. And this is what was interesting. One part of me yearned for him to come back. Part of the reason I was standing still was, like, maybe he'll come back. Like, maybe he'll see I'm not a threat. And now that I'm ready for him, I can observe. And then another part of me hoped he would not come back. But I stood there, transfixed, and I really did, like, for five minutes or so, and I just stood there. And then, of course, after that, right, then the adrenaline starts pumping, and so I'm just standing there. And I really feel like God, like, spoke to me in this moment. And I just want to share this with you. Um, because I was so convicted by it, and I remain so convicted by it. And, and, by, and I close my eyes, and I can see it so clearly. And I don't know if you'll resonate with this or not. But so many times I pray because I know it's good for me. Like I know I need to take a walk and get my steps in. But I'm not paying attention to the walk when I'm reading my book. And sometimes I'm not really paying that much attention to my prayer. And sometimes that's all you can muster. And that's okay. That kind of mindless exercise or mindless prayer. Sometimes that's what you got. And you got to go with it. It keeps the discipline going. And I suppose it's good. But there's, but there's a lot more. So much more. And I realize that too seldom do I come to God with that sense of awe and wonder that I had when I looked up and there was that bear looking back at me. Because it wasn't fear so much as awe. How different my praying would be if I could capture and instill that sense of awe and wonder when I come to God. Sometimes God is so familiar that I take God for granted. And it came to me in that moment that now I, I, it really showed me that now I know one of the reasons I find excuses not to pray. I don't know about you, but I come up with all kinds of reasons not to pray. Like, I'm too busy, or I forgot, or, you know, I got to be doing something else, or I got to answer that phone, or I got to answer that email. I find excuses sometimes not to pray, and I sometimes I'm afraid to pray. Just like that bear. I was afraid that the bear might return, and I was afraid that he wouldn't. Both things. And, and, I, and I was thinking, it really, it's the way it is with God. Sometimes I'm afraid that if I pray, God will indeed appear. And sometimes I'm afraid that God won't appear. So I'm kind of stuck either way. And maybe you don't relate to this, but I do. Because prayer is risky business. Because if you pray and you hear from God, now you got to do something. Very rare. I mean, it happens. But, you know, sometimes God says, oh, I love you. You're so sweet. Just, you know, just sit in my arms. And we do get those. Thank you. 
But sometimes we get those, you know, you're so sweet, I love you, and I want you to reach out. I want you to X, Y, Z. I want you to go deeper. You know, God might get our attention and then ask us to be about changing the world. Might ask us to do something that's out of our comfort zone. Talk to that person. Sit with that person. Befriend that person. Jeez. Go on that trip. Go on that mission trip. Support that mission. Who knows? I have no idea what it is. So at CFO, I love it when we get to join with like-minded people who dare to be still and listen for God. And then to be still and look for God. And then to be still again. One last image for you. Do you realize that you can have as much of God as you want? That the limit is on us, not on God. I'm going to paraphrase this, but this is a quote by a guy named Alexander McLaren. And he says, you know, we're able to have as much of God as we want. Christ puts the key to his treasure chest in our hands. And he says, open it up. Take what you want. It's as if someone allowed you to go into bank vault, right? Imagine the bank vault, you know, those wonderful Mission Impossible. The bank vault, the thing opens, the thing's open. And then it opens and it's just full of money. And you get to go and take whatever you want. Instead, you look and you go, eh, I'm good, I'm good. And you walk away. We can have as much of God as we want. And yet, we often settle for some kind of meager portion of his free riches. So as you come to this week of camp, which is so enriched by fellowship and family and friends and food, how much of God do you really want? How much of God do you really want, knowing that it's risky business? When I'm in crisis, I want a lot of God. When I'm in trouble, I want a lot of God. When I'm sick, I want a lot of God. When it's difficult, I want a lot of God. But when things are going well, I'm pretty happy. Yep, I'm content. In fact, having more of God when I'm already content can upset the balance of my life because he might make more demands on my time and my energy and my finances. Just wondering if I should go from like sharing to like preaching. That gets meddlesome there, the finance part. The finance part gets a little... Now remember, I work with people who like own second and third homes, so you know... The money thing. Oh, don't get me started. CJ, we'll talk about the money thing. Okay. Reel it back. On one level, we don't want more of God in our lives. Why would we volunteer for all that change and upheaval that will happen as you surrender more? But for me, CFO is an experiencing about the art of prayer, about going deeper out with God. And I have to say, not just so that I can have a great experience of God. If you come to CFO camp 
and you leave with a great experience of God, that's half of it. But the whole point, and Glenn Clark made this really clear, the whole point is you come and get that, and then you do what? You go back out into the world, and you make a difference. That you become a blessing to the world or to that little sphere that God puts you. And I will always invite you to take the next step and to wade deeper out, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the world. Because that's what Jesus did, right? He wasn't just taking care of those 12 little disciples and all their little friends. He was taking care of the world. So, one little uh, image here. I do want to share this with you. So, if the spiritual life is indeed living water, how deep are you? Are you in the shallow end? Are you in the deep end? Is it over your head yet? If, yep, if Jesus is living water, how deep are you wading in? That might speak to some of you. All right, here's a little mental picture, uh, which I love to do. How many of you ever eaten at a really good restaurant? Really good restaurant? Or even a mediocre restaurant that had a good waiter? Anybody ever had a good waiter at a restaurant? If you have a really good waiter at the restaurant, how do you know they're a good waiter? How do you know they're a good waiter? Respect and courtesy. They're constantly checking on you. What did you say? Attentive. You know you have a really good waiter when you look down and your glass of water was filled again and you don't remember how they did it, right? And they're standing there. Ate it. I'm not going to bother to give you the whole story, but they, I, went to, I, ate, I ate at a fancy restaurant went once. I think I was like 24 or something like that. It was a long time ago. Really fancy. And they just kind of stand against the wall. And they just watch, and they wait. And then they come with that fancy little thing, and they clean the crumbs off after the bread portion, you know. They're just there. The waiter appears with a dessert menu after you have rested, but before you can leave. That's a really good waiter. Everybody lean forward in your seat, if you will. Lean forward. Lean forward as if you are listening. Yeah, lean forward. That's the posture of, of a good, like a good waiter. Always ready. Always ready. Lean forward into God. All right, now sit back. Cross your arms. Cross your legs. This is not a leaning in posture. This is a prove it to me posture. Do you see the difference? I invite you to lean in like that waiter. You're always attentive, always looking for the opportunity. You never know when the Spirit's going to show up. So lean in when the kids come back in in a couple of minutes and see. Lean in when you're sitting with, at lunch with somebody or dinner with somebody and they're boring you. And you're like, gosh, I thought I was sitting at the cool kids' table. And look at that. I ended up with all the retired people or whatever it is. I didn't say old. Didn't say old. Lean in. Um, and I don't know about you, but I need to practice being attentive every day. And I need that structure of daily accountability. And I need the support of other people who are leaning in. I mean, I give myself grace when I don't make it, but, but I do need to lean in with my heart, with my body, with my soul, with my mind. That's why I love rhythms. It teaches us how to lean in even with our bodies. 
and I need CFO to come away. And I just, need to, I just need to keep going back to remember how powerful it is. I have a quote on my desk, uh, and it says this. It's a quote from God. I, actually, I don't know who it came from, but we pretend it's from God. Basically says this. I do not need all that you do. I need your attention while you do it. And I love that. I don't need all that you do. I need your attention while I do it. So let's see if we can practice a little bit of listening prayer together. And, it, and it may, we may not get through all of it because kids might come in and that's okay, right? Expectancy, something magical might happen there. But I invite you to take a moment to sit open, not all crossed up, but sit, put your two feet on the floor, rest your hands in your lap. I invite you to close your eyes, but that's up to you. Because I just want you to invite you to listen. What's that listening posture of your body for you? And this is a poem by a gentleman named Steve Garnis Holmes, and it's called The Invited. And I just want, as we start our week off together, hear these words. May they enliven your prayer life. This is a prayer. Here it is. I like to imagine that each year God invites me to a party. Here we are at CFO. <laughs> God drops me a note that says, no gifts, casual dress, come just as you are. And I like to imagine that I am brave enough to go. I like to imagine that I decide that I am worth it. This was no pity invite. There is no obligatory postage. God wants me there. So I get myself together. Smudge glasses, sensitive ego, wrinkled shirt and all. And I ring the doorbell. A few minutes late, on account of the fact that I lost my keys twice, trying to get out of the door. And I almost turn back to hide in my car, afraid that I might embarrass myself over appetizers or small talk. But then God answers the door. And God says, you're here. And here they are. And I smile because I am here. And with every step past that threshold, I know that God is cheering me on. It's the pride of a parent watching their child take their first step. If I freeze, God is not disappointed. If I fall, God is not mad. But if I trust the invitation, if I move closer, I know God celebrates. So friends, you've got mail. It's an invitation to dust off your shoes, to go deeper, to trust that you're worth it, to lose your keys and your faith, and then to find them both along with your worth. You are invited. We are invited again and again and again. This invitation is for you. And I would say, this is our invitation to a week of kingdom living. Thank you for responding to the RSVP. And I look forward to being at the party with you. Amen. Thanks. <laughs>